You're listening to Cross Section, the podcast of the Summit View Church of Christ. Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift Our text this morning is like Jack said from the book of Colossians in chapter 4. We'll start in verse 2 in a moment. Colossians is a teaching letter that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the church in the city of Colossae, an ancient city in what is now southwestern Turkey. Colossae is not there anymore, but its ruins are still there. They're still buried. Um, Nobody has excavated them yet, from what I understand. So if you're thinking about a career in archaeology, there you go. uh, Colossae might be your place. As Paul begins to wrap up this letter that he's written to the church in that city, he gives that church a few instructions that are important for us too. Let's take a look at those. Colossians 4 and verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul's words to the Colossians. I chose this passage for our study this morning because it gives important instructions for us as we're looking at how to let our light shine, how to be excellent witnesses for Jesus. That's been the focus of our study these last few weeks. We're looking at biblical tips and techniques for how to do that well. And this is clearly an evangelistic passage of Scripture. Paul gives instructions, commands, that if the church follows them, will, like Jack said, bring about a blessing, both for Paul in his ministry and for the church in its outreach to the people in its region. Paul begins by calling the church to pray. In verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So be diligent in prayer. God's people should always be praying people. Be watchful. Alert to the spiritual dynamics of life. Aware of what's going on around us. And be thankful. Or most English translations will say to be watchful with thanksgiving. Always keep an eye out for the positive. For what God is doing for us and has done for us. And give thanks for that. There's a lot of trouble in life, but thanksgiving helps us stay focused on the goodness of God and reminds us of our hope. Paul calls the church to pray. This call to prayer is good, general instruction for the church all the time. In verses 3 and 4, Paul focuses that call for prayer on his own ministry. And he asks the church to pray for him and his group of missionaries which in Colossians includes Timothy, who's mentioned at the opening of the letter, and it includes Mark and Luke, who, uh, whose books, who uh, we have books in the Bible named after them. We think they, they wrote the books of Mark and Luke, and they and a few others are mentioned in verses 10 to 14 of chapter 4. Paul has a whole group working with him. And so Paul says in verse 3, and pray for us 
to himself and his group, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Here Paul is thinking about the spread of the gospel, what we've been calling letting our light shine, being excellent witnesses for Jesus, communicating the good news of Jesus to others so they can share in the new life that God offers us. Paul asks the church in Colossae to pray for him and his fellow missionaries, that God would open a door for their message. You know, this work of sharing the good news of Jesus with others and bringing people to God, this is God's work, right? It's, it's ultimately his, not ours. We get to share in it, but it is he who is behind it all. As we talked about two weeks ago, we plant and we water, but it's God who gives the increase. And so if we want to see people come to Christ, the first thing we need to do is pray. Every evangelistic strategy in the world might be helpful, might be good, but none of it will succeed without God. First thing we need to do is always to pray. One day about 25-ish years ago when I was serving at a large church in Memphis, Tennessee, I asked Harold Shank, who was uh, one of the preachers I trained under, to tell me about a time when he had seen God work powerfully in the church. And at that time, our church had established a few churches in the poorest parts of Memphis where people can't afford to pay a preacher, and so the churches tend to move out to the, the suburbs, out to the wealthier parts of town where they can hire a preacher. And that leaves uh, a, a vacuum, a church vacuum, in the center of the city a lot of times. Well, that urban ministry project of starting new churches in the, the poorest parts of the city was going really well while I was living in Memphis. We were shining the light of Christ in the darkest parts of the city. So I asked Harold to tell me about a time when he'd seen God work powerfully uh, in the church, and he told me this story. He said that in the late 80s or early 90s, I don't remember exactly when, for quite a while, a group of people in our church had wanted to start a ministry to the poor in Memphis, but they couldn't find a way to begin. They didn't live in the poorer parts of town. They lived in the nicer parts of town, the middle class areas, the suburbs, but they had a heart for the poor. They had identified a neighborhood that had no churches around because all the churches had left for the nicer parts of town, and they wanted to go there. They wanted to start a church there, or at least start a Bible study there. But every time they tried, no one was interested. They couldn't make connections with the people there. They were, they were too, too different. It didn't seem anyone was interested. They were at the point where all they knew to do was to pray. And so they prayed, and nothing happened. And they kept praying, and nothing happened. They prayed that God would open doors. Nothing happened. But then one day, a woman called the church and said, I know you're going to say no because every church has said no. I've been calling churches all over the city. They all say no. But is there any chance that you might have someone who would come to the community center I direct here in the poorest part of Memphis and lead a Bible study? Because we have some people who are asking for that. But we don't have anybody to lead it. And it just so happened that that community center was in the exact neighborhood that the church had been praying God would lead them to. Open doors in. And so they jumped at the opportunity. They told that community center uh, director, yes. And boy, was she surprised. 
And they started a Bible study at the community center. And over time, by the time I moved to Memphis, that Bible study had grown into a church. It had grown into the downtown Church of Christ in Memphis. And that church was shining the light of Jesus to the poorest people in the city. When we pray for God to open doors, He will. Why would God ever say no to that prayer? If our hearts are right, and if the timing is right, if he thinks we're ready, he sees people who are ready to hear his, his message. But we have to pray. We have to pray because we have to depend on God and on his power if we're going to have success in sharing the message of Jesus with others. This is ultimately his project and his kingdom, not ours. In verse 3, Paul asks for prayers so that he and his fellow missionaries can proclaim the mystery of Christ. In chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, chapter 2, verse 2, Paul mentions the, that mystery and he defines it. The mystery of Christ is Christ. It's all that God has done through him in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And specifically, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 27, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How through Christ, God lives in us and brings us the hope of sharing in his glory in eternal life. That hope was Paul's message. That's what he preached. And it's our message too. All focused around God's work in Jesus to bring people the hope of glory. Paul specifically asks in verse 4, for prayers that he will proclaim that message clearly as he should. And that's a great prayer for us today, too. It's not always easy to communicate the message of Jesus clearly. Someone starts asking you hard questions like, how can you believe in a God that you can't see? You want to be well prepared through prayer when that question comes. Paul says something really strange in verse 3. He says, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. For which I am in chains. That's an odd thing to say because Paul is a prisoner at this time, probably in Rome around the time of the end of the book of Acts. He's been a prisoner for a few years at this point, And one would think that being in confinement would make sharing the gospel with others almost impossible. Paul can't go anywhere. He's stuck. He's a prisoner. His co-workers are free to come and go. So prayer for their, sharing, their success in sharing the gospel, that makes sense. But in verse 4, Paul, a prisoner, specifically asks for prayers so that he may proclaim the message of Jesus clearly. And yet it, it, it's, it's strange that he does this, but it makes sense to us too that Paul in prison, calls the church to pray for his success in sharing the gospel and being a witness for Jesus because there is no venue in which God's people are not witnesses for Jesus. Everywhere we go, everything we do, we are witnesses for Jesus, people with a light to shine. The end of the book of Acts says Paul actually had people who came to see him while he was a prisoner. So anyone who came to him, he could share the message of Jesus with them. I've heard of prisoners in our time who became Christians in prison and then brought other prisoners to faith in Christ too. In your home, 
You are a witness for Jesus. At school, at your job, at the senior center, you're a witness for Jesus. Hanging out with friends, you're a witness for Jesus. There is no time or place in which Christians are not witnesses for Jesus. Our whole lives are testimony to the message of Jesus. For us, life is our venue for shining our light for our Lord. The things we do every day are testimony to our hope in God, to his goodness, to our faith in Jesus. So even in prison, Paul could ask the church to pray that he would be able to proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. I've heard of some churches that expect their preacher to do all the outreach. Like the preacher, they hired him, he's the evangelist, right? That's why they pay him, isn't it? So that he can go and share the gospel with other people, bring people to Jesus. He's the evangelist. And of course the preacher should be an evangelist, of course. But how much better is it, how many more souls might come to Christ, if a church of a hundred, instead of thinking it has just one evangelist, thinks of itself as having a hundred, one of whom might be paid to do this full time, but 99 more of whom are available to do it as well. What if every believer considers himself or herself a witness for Jesus? And I'm telling you what you already know, because this congregation has had that mindset since before I came here. And because all Christians are evangelists, all Christians are witnesses for Jesus, Paul turns in his instructions from asking the church to pray for him to instructing them on how to conduct themselves so as to share the message of Jesus as effectively as possible. In verse 5, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. He's been asking for prayer for himself and the ministry of, that he does and that his, his mission team does. Now he turns around to the church since they're witnesses for Jesus too, and tells them that the way that we act around unbelievers matters. I found this thought in a commentary on this passage the other day. A writer said, Non-Christians may not read the Bible or listen to the preaching of the Word of God, but they can see the lives of those who do and form their judgment accordingly. And you know people like that, right? People who, they, they won't come to church, at least not right now. They have never read much of any of the Bible. They really don't know much about our faith, but they know you, and they know you're a Christian. And so they watch you, and what they see in you is what they think Christianity is all about. So Paul gives us this command. It's a command with a distinct benefit. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Because, and this is the benefit, if we're careful and wise in our conduct, people who watch us may, through us, see Jesus. And so Paul also says, make the most of every opportunity. Don't miss a chance to shine your light for the Lord, to say or do something that will help another person to come a step closer to Jesus. I heard one of you say the other day, if we pray for God to open doors for us, and he does, we'd better walk through them. 
And so as we pray for opportunities to share our faith or to invite someone to church or to just shine the light of God's goodness in someone's life, when God opens those doors, go through them. Make the most of every opportunity. And then Paul turns from our conduct to our speech. He says in verse 6, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So when you speak, let your conversation be always full of grace. Let it be gracious, kind, controlled. The opposite of gracious speech would be what Paul forbids in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where he says, But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. So no losing your temper, no hateful speech, no gossiping, no bad language, no lying. One summer while I was in college, I got to be a counselor at a week-long uh, Christian camp for teenagers. Had a lot of fun there that week. One of those days at the camp, a bunch of us boys were playing an intense game of basketball. And I couldn't believe the words that came out of the mouths of some of these Christian teenagers there on the basketball court. It was like they had completely forgotten that they were Christians or that they were around Christians. I stopped the game for a second and I said, hey, you guys have to clean up your language. You belong to Jesus even when you're playing basketball. And I remember they all looked at me like I had just said the strangest thing in the world. I don't know if they disagreed. I don't think so. Or if they didn't care. I think they cared. Maybe they just had never thought about that before. It was like there was this unwritten rule that this is how you're supposed to talk on the basketball court. But even on the basketball court, we represent Jesus. Our conduct there matters. We need to guard our tongues all the time. Paul says, let your conversation be always, always full of grace, seasoned with salt. Always. Because we are witnesses for Jesus in every situation. No matter how intense the game. No matter how wrong the other person is. No matter how little sleep we got, no matter whether we're with other Christians or with people who don't know our Lord, our conversation must be always full of grace. Our lives must be always full of prayer and full of grace. Paul says, seasoned with salt. Salt brings a good flavor to food. So, Conversation that brings a good flavor, making what we say easier to swallow. Because when we get to talking with people about Jesus, about matters of faith, we're going to have to address issues that are difficult. We'll have to be honest about sin. We'll have to talk about the need for their lives to change, the importance of handing over control of our lives to God. And that's difficult, scary stuff. But conversation that is seasoned with salt makes difficult truths easier to swallow. There's a way to speak the truth roughly, cruelly. And there's a way to speak the truth graciously, seasoned with salt. 
It's like when you try out a new recipe and uh, you cook it, you feed it to your family, but something went wrong with the recipe and your family, instead of being painfully honest with you, says something like, well, it has potential, but I really think it's missing something. Salt, sugar, flavor. (laughs) There's a gracious, seasoned with salt way to speak the truth that people need to hear. Imagine this question, because Paul says that when we obey the command to let our conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, the blessing that comes to us when we obey that command is that then you may know how to answer everyone. And so imagine this question. Does your church believe I'm a sinner condemned to burn in hell? Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? How do you answer that one? That'll put you on the spot. There's a way to answer that question that is both true and entirely ungracious. And it will chase that person far away from God. But if our conversation is always full of grace, seasoned with salt, and if we're well prepared through prayer, then we will find a way to answer graciously. Does your church believe that I'm a sinner condemned to burn in hell? Well, the Bible says that we're all sinners and that God will judge all who have done evil, which is everybody, myself included. But it also says God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to take our punishment on himself if we'll follow him so that God can punish evil in his punishment of Jesus and still forgive us. That's why we love Jesus so much. There's a time to be straightforward, direct, stern with our answers. But in the Bible, that's usually reserved for dealing with God's people who are sinning defiantly and know better. When we're talking about outreach to people who don't know our God yet, they need God's truth, but they need it spoken in a way that communicates God's love and the hope that we have in Jesus. They need God's people to share the mystery of Christ in a way that is gracious, seasoned with salt. From people whose conduct is consistent with Christian teaching so that our message will be both credible and easy to swallow. Someone a friend of mine knows recently visited a church in another state. And that particular morning, a woman came before the church to confess sin. And If the congregation there had received her confession graciously and had loved her and forgiven her and encouraged her in her reconciliation with God, if they had taken her sin seriously but also shown her uh, sincere love, that would have said something beautiful to every member there and every visitor there about the love of God and how God changes our lives for the better, how he takes our sins seriously, but he restores us and heals us and renews our lives, how we have hope no matter what we've done if we'll come to God through Jesus who died for us. But instead, that church responded to this woman's confession harshly 
As the church was gathered there that morning, they publicly piled guilt and shame on this woman. There she was trying to make things right with God and with the church. And the church communicated to her and to everyone else that whatever it was she had done was unacceptable. And she was a sinner and they made sure she knew it. Of course, she already knew that. That's why she came to confess. Their message to her and to everyone present was ungracious, not seasoned with salt at all. And it hurt that person who was visiting. And that person wasn't even involved. That church missed an opportunity to shine the light of God's mercy, to restore a sister who had fallen away, and to touch the heart of a visitor with the grace of God. For us who take seriously both God's warnings about the judgment to come and his instructions about how he wants us to communicate the gospel to others, we understand that to be effective in bringing lost people to Jesus, to really excel at letting our light shine, we have to become skilled at doing what Paul taught us here. We need to pray diligently, being watchful with thankfulness, praying for the ministry of others, Praying that God would open doors for their success and help them declare the mystery of Christ clearly. We need to be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. Conducting ourselves in a way that unbelievers can respect. Our conduct then must align well with the whole message of Jesus. Because we are witnesses for Jesus all the time. We need to make the most of every opportunity. Pray that God will open doors, and then when he does, go through them. Never let your guard down, but watch for opportunities to witness about Jesus, because we are witnesses for Jesus all the time. Always be ready to be a witness for Jesus in your actions and in your words when the time and the opportunity come. We need to let our conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, speaking graciously, making the message of Jesus easy to swallow, It's hard enough for people to receive the message of Jesus without us making it harder. We need to bring honor to God by the words we say and the tone with which we say them. And then we will know how to answer everyone in a way that leads them to Jesus. This work of letting our light shine, of sharing the gospel, of being excellent witnesses for Jesus, it's really God's work ultimately. And that's why we pray before we do anything else. We can have no success without prayer, without fully relying on God. And then we need to do our part as well. We are ambassadors for the Lord. People who don't yet know Jesus look to us to see him. And so through our words and through our conduct, in answer to our prayers, may God bless them with the message of Jesus. May he bless you this week as you share it. Let's pray together. Lord God, before we go from here out to our homes or out to eat somewhere or traveling or whatever you have planned for us this week, Lord. Lord, before we go and and share the light of Jesus with others, we look to you. And Lord, we depend on you and we ask you for success in being witnesses for Jesus, in sharing uh, our faith with others, or, or just through our, our conduct, showing your, your great love for the people around us. Bless us with 
actions and with words that will represent you well. Lord, help us in our behavior uh, to always be wise in how we conduct ourselves with people outside of our faith. Help us in our words, Lord, to uh, always let our conversation be gracious, full of grace and seasoned with salt. Dear Lord, bless us in this. Teach us wisdom in this so that we may become excellent witnesses for Jesus. Bless us individually, O Lord, and bless us as a church that we may shine a bright light for you here in our city. We praise you, Lord. We honor your name today. We ask for this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.